This is Lunacy, where we discern the sacred from the insane and admit that whether we like it or not, we are all profoundly affected by the cycles of the moon. How? My guest today is none other than Christine Irwin, who you may have noticed and shares my last name because she married me. All right. Stupid? Maybe. Just kidding. Definitely not stupid. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm super excited to have my wife on the program today. This has been a long time in the making. We've discussed discussing things quite a lot. She has been really like a backbone force of this whole escapade of us doing this show. And she's a huge support to me and a really good balancing act for this guy and really helps me bring out the best of myself and helps me, helps herself bring out the best in others. Does that make sense? Helps herself bring, she helps she looks, she brings out the best in people. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that makes right? sense. Don't make it so complicated, Jeff. So I'm really excited to welcome you to the program. Christine is a very successful engineer and just a very successful, good human. And she's my wife and I'm super, super privileged and honored to have you on the program. Thanks for coming, honey. Thank you. Okay, great. So let's talk about me and how great I am for a second, okay. shall we? Sure. Cool. You're awesome. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Kidding. Also, just so people know, I guess we should probably share that, you know, we got married in October, October 15th of last year. Yeah, we're like just past eight months. Up here and we moved ourselves up here to rough and ready. And uh, it's been a great adventure and we're super happy to be here and starting our new life together. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So I just wanted to start off like giving people a little idea of who you are and where you're from. First of all, you're from Canada, right? Yep. Maybe tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Toronto. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Toronto and I feel like I grew up in the best place on the planet at the time. Okay. At cool. least I can't speak for it now. Yeah. It was a great time to, to grow up there because my friends and myself, most of us were first generation Canadians. All our parents were immigrants from all over the world. So it made for very colorful and fun get togethers and exposure to so many different cultures. And I really feel that it was a critical thing in forming who I am. Like, I feel like I sometimes have a bit of an advantage because I understand cultures so well because I grew up around them all. Mm. And yeah, so I feel really fortunate. That's awesome. And very safe place to grow up again, at least at the time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. It's interesting. I feel very similarly as far as the safety is concerned about growing up in Omaha, Nebraska. It's very safe, although I was definitely not first generation. That's beautiful. And then I'd love for you to share a little bit about one of the things that I really admire about you is your success in the in the workplace. You're an engineer. You worked really hard for many years. And I mean, you're... As far as I could tell, you're pretty much one of the only women in your field and you've gotten to the executive level. And I just love for you to just share a little bit about what that's been like for you and how you've achieved the success that you have. Sure. And there are other women. There are just not a lot. Yeah. So you mentioned I'm an engineer. I started as an engineer. That's what I got my degree in. And somehow over 20 years ago, I moved to California and got a job working for a battery company, which was like the last thing on my mind. <laughs> it didn't occur to me as a very sexy place to work, but I got the job. I needed it. And I ended up working with really great people and I just kept advancing. So I couldn't really leave. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed my career. I always say for working in corporate America, I had a good job. I worked with good people and I ended up staying in that industry. And I was working in engineering at the time, but then I did my MBA and moved over to the commercial side of the business. So I've in the more recent years or for most of my years, it's been more sometimes sales. It's been product management, market management, go to market strategies. And um, I've had the opportunity to do that domestically and internationally. And I'd say I've run into very few women that do exactly what I do, but I've been around women in the industry. They're usually more in the marketing or finance or other areas, although some engineers and product managers. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Thank you for sharing kind of some of your context and your history with us. So the main thing that I really wanted to chat with you about today is your history with depression. And what that's been like for you in your life and how you've overcome that depression and really moved through to the other side in a powerful, meaningful way. Yeah. 
So maybe just start by talking about what it was like for you or how it's been throughout the years for you dealing with depression. Yeah. And I would say that it's the accomplishment, getting over depression is the accomplishment I'm most proud of more than my career, even though I've had a good career. Yeah. I started suffering from depression probably in early teens. I don't know exactly when, but 14, 15, common time for depression to show up. And from that point until into my 40s, I had severe depression most of the time. There were times where I'd get out of it for a few months here and there. But yeah, severe depression, the way it showed up for me, because a lot of people with depression, like they can't get out of bed. I did have times like that, but mostly it was just going through the motions of life without much excitement or looking forward to things, spending a lot of time alone crying and often wishing I hadn't been born, wishing I could take my life because I didn't want to live, just suffering a lot. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of escaping the suffering. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't realized how sad this was going to be. Brought it up. <laughs> well, and it's a me um, you don't know. Yeah, that's true. It is a you I don't know. Yeah, if it's I almost a me I don't else, know. Be, I would be crying about it. It's very yeah. sad. Yeah, it was really bad. It was really bad. And uh, yeah, it would kind of cycle where I'd be depressed for several months, and then I'd pop out of it for a month or two. But yeah, most of the time I was either in depression or avoiding it by keeping really busy or doing something that distracted me from it, but not really getting over it. Yeah. For like 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so fascinating because it's, I'm talking to you about a person that you once were, as you said, but are certainly no longer. Like, I don't see that side of you at all. So let's just start talking about what was it that had you start to turn and transform that, that way of being into something that was more vibrant and alive. And I would say this, like when you say it's a person you don't know, it's for me on a day-to-day basis, I even forget. Like I have to, I don't have to, I choose to remind myself what it's like because I do remember very clearly when I'd be like suffering and crying from depression, thinking to myself, one day if I get over this, I'm going to help people with this Mm. because this is just unbearable. But what happens is when you're over something and things shift, it starts to become a memory and you don't identify with it. So it's actually important for me to constantly tap into and remember the depression so that I can relate to people that suffer from it and help them because I did make that commitment. Hmm. I declared that. And was that like a promise to God that you made kind of thing? It was. It was like, if you help me get over this, I'll help other people. Wow. Deep. (laughs) Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And so, yeah, the short story is in one weekend doing the Landmark Forum, I got over depression. And I mean that no exaggeration. After that weekend, I never suffered from depression again. That doesn't mean I don't get down. It doesn't mean I don't have a couple days that are sad. There's even been times where you've heard me say, I hope I'm not going back down into that depression space again, but I never am. It's always short lived, which I think is normal. They don't even call that depression. It's people get sad. They get, they're happy. They're sad. It was literally after one weekend. And then there's just a lot around that weekend that had me get over it. The biggest thing, God, it's such a tangled web. When I had depression, sometimes people would say, just snap out of it. Just, just get over it. And when you're depressed and somebody says that to you, it's so irritating because you're like, you think I want to be this way? If I could just snap out of it, I would have done it. Don't tell me that. And in the end, it really is that simple. And the way I looked at it is I had to be honest with myself. So I said, if I could get over depression, you think I wouldn't? I want it. Like who's depressed that would say I want to be depressed? Nobody. So it's, yeah. So it's not that you want to be depressed. It's that you don't want to not be depressed. Hmm. Because depression is an out for so many things. And somebody listening to this that has depression might disagree with it. I would have. It really takes like, stop. You would have disagreed with what you're saying. I I would have disagreed what I was saying. The instant reaction would be like, don't tell me that. Of course I want to be happy. But what comes with happiness? What are all the things? What does happiness mean? Does happiness mean now like I have to interact with people? Because I didn't want to interact with people. 
There's things that are like normal in the world of being a happy person that's living life. Yeah. doesn't mean you have to be a social butterfly, but there's going to be interaction with people. There's going to be things that when I really look deep down, I didn't want to do. Right. So depression was a really good way to get out of it at a subconscious level. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And so, by the way, we're not trying to get people to do the landmark forum. This is just so happens. That's what really helped kick it for you. Yeah. And it was also ideas and concepts that you got from doing that that were presented (laughs) by landmark that were really helpful to you in. I don't know if you want to say conquering, but transforming your depression. Really? That's what it is. Yeah. I really got over it. And so maybe you could just like, it's clear to me and I know you as a, I know you as my wife and as like, also as my best friend, I know who you are and how you handle life and the level of responsibility that you generally take for life and what we're going through, et cetera. But if you could just take us through a little bit of like, what were the key things that like had you snap out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And just to reiterate what you say, landmark is one way this people could come to this place in different ways. And this is what worked for me. I can't claim this is going to work for everybody, but I do feel there's something in what I experienced. If I'm an example of someone who got over depression, hopefully there's something in what I have to share that will be there for somebody else. And and by the way, I do want to add there shortly before I got over it, I actually had gotten to the point, and maybe this was a key thing now that I think back, where I accepted I'll never get over depression. I was like, okay, this is going to be my life. What can I do with it? What's the best I can do with knowing I'll always be depressed? Wow. And they do say acceptance is the first step. Yeah. So you were just like, okay, I'm going to have this limp the rest of my life. I guess that's just how it's going to be. What am I going to do? So the things that I got. So one of the things, a distinction in landmarks called a racket, I know you've talked about it, where you have a persistent complaint and there's a way of being associated with it. So the persistent complaint was I'm depressed. And the way of being was depression, being suffering, being sad. I was open to looking at, okay, is this a racket? And then when you look at it, you look at what is the cost and what is the payoff? And the payoff I've alluded to already was not being responsible things in my life. Right. You got off. You didn't have to be responsible for things in your life because you were just depressed. Yeah. You had this chemical condition that you couldn't get out of. Yes. And so therefore you didn't have to be responsible for the fact that you didn't want to talk to people or interact with them or clearly you showed up to your job. Yeah. Yeah. We've been over that. There were certain things that you were like, okay, I got to do this. Yeah. But there were a lot of things that you wouldn't do and you wouldn't allow yourself happiness. And also it sounds like part of it was that you wouldn't be responsible for giving happiness to others, which I think now is part of very much part of who you are Yeah, for me. Yeah. Interestingly enough, my job, it's almost like that was like in its own little compartment compartmentalized, yeah. and I was able to succeed in my job and not be bedridden. So I couldn't go to job for my job for days at a time. Although I did sometimes take mental health days, but I think that it was like my it was my numbing out thing. So it it helped me in that sense. Oh, that's interesting. So the work itself was sort of an escape for you. It was a distraction. I remember not always, but I remember periods of time where I'd go to work and I would not be depressed from that nine to five Hmm. because I was immersed in my job. And then I'd go home and continue with my depression. In fact, I used to dread weekends. Wow. Dread them. I was like, oh, great. Now I've got to figure out how to make it through Friday night till Monday morning without just being miserable the entire time. Yeah. Now as it's the exact opposite. No, it's definitely. <laughs> yeah. I can say with authority that my wife treasures her weekends big time. Yeah. They're like the most important thing. Totally. So yeah, I didn't have to, why did I not like to talk to people or be social? That was a big thing is because I was afraid. Like it was scary to put myself out there. So okay. it was really a way to avoid fear declare I don't like things that I'm afraid of and then be depressed because they're not in my life. Even though, because secretly beyond the fear, you really actually wanted some of those things. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanted what's considered a normal life where Uh you have people in your life, you have friends, you, there's a balance in the life in my life, or I wanted a life with balance. Yeah. And I would say I didn't. And it's because I was afraid. So when I got, that was one, one distinction. So 
I could have associated depression with many of the distinctions that I got in the weekend of the forum, but it really resonated with me as a racket. So the next thing was, is what do I do about that? And what I did is I started taking responsibility for my life. So I started saying, okay, I don't have people in my life. I want to have more friends, which is not what I was saying before. I was like, I don't like people. I even joke about that now, but it was like, I don't like people. I'm fine on my own. People irritate me. So what I had to do was start taking actions that were uncomfortable. And I did. I started taking actions that were uncomfortable. So I started being the person who wasn't depressed. By the way, when I walked out of the forum, I wasn't like I walked out. No, I'm not depressed. I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't really know. It's just suddenly I started living the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day and kept going and depression wasn't there. Yeah. So there were several things I did. So one of them was taking actions that were uncomfortable. Another one was, so another distinction I got from the forum is we are not our thoughts. We have thoughts, but our brain's constantly thinking. If you're just sitting, you can't not think. Various thoughts, random thoughts, sometimes random, sometimes calculated thoughts are just going through your head at all times. Yeah. So there were definitely scenarios like the weekend, I'm going to be depressed. There were definitely scenarios that I associate with depression. Another big one was I was on a trip somewhere. I came home, I'd be depressed. So those were various scenarios. So the thought would come into my head about being depressed. I remember distinctly, I came home from somewhere and I had to do my laundry. And as I was walking in the laundry room, I was like, oh, I'm feeling depressed. Maybe I should let myself off not doing this work today because I'm feeling depressed. I started going down that rabbit hole. And then I was like, that's just a thought. It's a thought my brain is used to having in those moments. Mm. And I was like, okay, the thought is there. I acknowledge the thought. And then I just kept doing what I was doing. I went and did the laundry. Like I didn't engage with the thought. So before I'd have that thought and then there were a whole series of things that happened. Okay, I'm depressed. So I'm not going to do my laundry today. I'm going to go home. I'm just going to watch a movie and just wallow in my depression. I'm going to engage with it and allow it to play out. Uh-huh. Instead, I was like, okay, it's just a thought. doesn't mean anything. Just keep going. Yeah. And I didn't get into a depression in a situation. Like, this is a very simple example, but this happened all the time. I'd have to recognize a thought, acknowledge it, and not act on it. Take a different action. So that was another big thing I got from the weekend. Yeah. So I was doing these things, not realizing these were the things that had me get over depression, but they were automatic and they happened like from the day I left the room of the forum. Yeah, forward. that's interesting. Yeah, just going back to the rackets for a second, because I think I just want to want it to be abundantly clear to people. And I've we've talked about this before on this show, but like a racket is where you realize that you're that I realize that I'm the guy behind the curtain. You know what I mean? You're the guy. I'm the guy that's responsible for my own depression or unhappiness. And then I'm getting something out of it. Like you were saying, what you're getting out of it is not having to be responsible and not having to deal with people, not having to step up and step out in your life. And you're winning that game, even though you're really losing the big game of life, that there's a recognition that we are fundamentally responsible for our reactions to everything. And the reason it's a racket is that outwardly we're saying something like, I'm depressed and so therefore I can't do this, but really I'm being depressed so that I don't have to be responsible for my life and the people around me. Yeah, it occurs as real. It feels real. (laughs) And this may sound weird, but it's not. It's thoughts and feelings. There were a couple other big things. So one of them, it can be referred to as chasing the carrot. So when I would be depressed, I'd have thoughts like, If I was in a good relationship, I wouldn't be depressed. Why would I be depressed if I'm in a great relationship? Or if I made more money, it wasn't that I was wanting for more money. You can have more things. Then I wouldn't be depressed. I could do all these fun things more than I could do now. Like I had those thoughts. But when I was really honest with myself, I looked like I even played out the scenario in my head. I'd be like, okay, I'm in a great relationship right now and I can do what I want. What would I be doing? And I realized I'd still be depressed. It wasn't about those things. So I had to call bullshit on myself. Yeah. And that's where that I, if I could not be depressed, of course I'd do it where there's a little bit of a lie in it. At least there was for me. Yeah, exactly. And also, so just to finalize the whole thing, you know, the reason it's called a racket 
it's I feel like the it's 1940s term. Ah, they're running a racket out there. They got the front man and in the back they're doing the card games and they're doing the numbers. They're running the numbers because that's what it is. Like you're really running a racket. You're showing something outwardly to the rest of the world. But really inside, you're responsible for it on a subconscious level, the level that we're not really taking responsibility for. And then what you're describing exactly so well is that like at some point you just call bullshit on yourself and just say, oh, you know what? That's not who I am. And you create something that's antithetical to that. Who I am is somebody who's fully living life or who I am is fully expressed in the world or something along those lines. Yeah. So when you... Again, I'm saying you, me, when, when I you, went through the process yeah. of looking at the racket, which I looked at depression from that lens, and I've done this with other things as well, and I'd offer this to people, the first time you look, you're not going to see it. I didn't. Okay, I'm depressed. It's a consistent complaint with a way of being, and it's inauthentic. And then I go, no, I'm depressed. I can't do anything about it. I'm depressed. Okay, look again. And that's where I'd uncover things like what would have me out of depression. Like I said, the good relationship, the whatever, better job, all all the things. And then I'd be like, I'd look at it, play it out. And then I'd start, it got, oh gosh, maybe I'm not really being honest with myself. So it may take asking oneself several times because the knee jerk reaction is going to be what's always been there. And it's understandable because when you have depression, it feels like you have no other choice. And by the way, I was diagnosed clinically depressed. I was severely depressed. Uh I was in the hospital once for depression. So this was extreme. Yeah. And just to step back, going further back, I did go to therapy and it helped a bit. I'm not saying it didn't. It's just, it was slow, like crawling. And then there were times where medication was prescribed and medication in my experience is numbing. It doesn't deal with, it's a Band-Aid. So... That didn't help me either. This is what helped me looking at this. And then if I made the other distinction, which I know you've talked about the vicious circle. Yeah. So that was a really important one too, because basically it has, there's two circles. Imagine two circles on a board. One is what happened. And the other is everything you say about it. The stories, what you make it mean, however you want to term that. separate circles. And they're two separate circles. So most of what people talk about lies in the second circle. Even if we're just describing, oh, I went to the store and this guy, he was really rude. And then the cashier was very pleasant. Those are stories, rude, pleasant. What did they do? She smiled. I'm calling that pleasant. Yeah. He pursed his lips. I'm calling that rude. Like it's all like that. So with depression, the same thing. Depression falls in that second circle. What's actually happening? What am I actually experiencing? Happening can be like, I step one foot in front of the other. It can also just be like, it's your experience without any adjective description, just the experience. Yeah. And when I, when you, and, and what we do in life is we collapse those circles. So we have the things we say about it be reality. And you can get a lot of people to agree with you on that reality. You and I could go somewhere and say, that guy was rude. And you'd agree with me and 10 other people would agree with me because we've agreed in society. If somebody does that thing, it's rude. Right. So you may say, what's the value in uncollapsing them? Do we really know? Maybe he's, maybe he just went through something really bad. Maybe he got bad news and we're taking his expression as being rude. Like we, we label something without knowing the facts. So with the depression doing that, it was really helpful as well, because I think I mentioned numbing. Numbing is a very big thing in our culture. People numb themselves from all sorts of things, not just depression, just things they don't want to look at in life because they're hard to be with. When I really got to, okay, I have a feeling just Rather than numb the feeling with medication or avoiding it with work, just be present to the feeling. Okay, I have this feeling. It's like a low energy feeling. I don't feel like I could go run a marathon right now. I don't have a desire to do anything right now. If I took all those things and just accepted them, rather than labeling them depression and putting all this weight on them, that was another helpful tool that I did after the forum. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And to be clear, yeah, so there's two circles and then the story that we made it mean, then we use what happened as evidence for the story. So then the story becomes the reality versus like actually what happened. 
Yes. So when you say we collapse those two things, it's like we're crafting this whole imagine, imaginary idea of reality that then becomes true because we make it true because we tell a story. When usually that story is some somehow deficient or insufficient or I'm not enough or there's something wrong here with me or with them or the way that they're judging me and communicating with me. That's how you can smell it. It's usually got you disempowered and upset. And so then you should look. Then that, that's the point at which I look and go, okay, what's the story here? What's the story that I'm saying? And yeah. then and the way that you also untangle it is that if you have a story about somebody in particular, like somebody within your family, then you talk to them about it. Hey, this is what happened. This is the story that I made it mean. I realize that's not the case. <laughs> and I take full responsibility for the story that I made it mean. What I want to create is whatever it is. Yeah, it's really for you. Like a really good example is using the rude example. Somebody once said to me that their neighbor was really rude to them. And I said, what happened? And she said, she was just really rude to me. I said, yeah, but what did she do? I really wanted to get the what happened. And I was asking very gently and politely. And she said, I don't understand why you're not getting me. I told you she was really rude. But rude, I I don't know what rude is. What did she do? Did she spit on you? Did she like slam the door in your face? And the reason I wanted to get to it was to support this person in looking at there could be a million reasons somebody did that. You labeling it rude has you upset. You don't have to be upset. Did you get to the bottom? Did she tell you? No, I didn't in that conversation. But it pointed to how we don't even see we're doing that. Like we believe the the meaning we gave it, like it's the thing that happened. It's so automatic for us to do that. I've heard someone say, if we only talked about what happened, we'd have a lot less to say because almost everything we say is what we make it mean, the yeah. stories. It's all the story pretty yeah. much. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. That's great. Okay, good. Were there other things that had you snap out of your depression? I would say it was really, yeah, working. I don't know if there's anything else, nothing else I can think of at the time, but it was really, yeah, taking actions that were uncomfortable, recognizing a thought as a thought and not engaging with it and adding weight to it and adding story to it. So it became heavier and heavier and something that would lead into depression and constantly just being honest with myself about what had me in this state because I really got that I'm responsible. And I do believe, I'm not a scientist, I do believe though there's brain patterns that are there because people might say, and I used to say, my brain does this, I can't help it, but I'm proof that you can change it because I did. And it didn't take 10 years of affirmations. It just took taking those things on immediately when I walked out the door of that course that I took. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Good. No more depression. Yeah, no more depression. And look, there's a lot. If I was to, we could talk hours just on this. If I was actually, I said I wanted to help people with it and hopefully this helps. But if I was to actually spend time with somebody, I would go through a lot more detail around this. Okay. Yeah. Part of what would be helpful for people is like, what were the, obviously if you're in a, obviously if you're in depression and that's really like your reality, There are a lot of limiting beliefs that are associated with being depressed and having yourself that way and holding yourself, suppressing yourself that way. What were those limiting beliefs for you? The biggest limiting belief was I am stuck with depression forever and there's nothing I can do about it. When I, before I got over depression, I accepted it. That had a different kind of feeling than I'm stuck with it. That victim belief. What other limiting beliefs that that I just can't have a normal life, that I can't be happy, that I can't have friends. I've always had friends, but not a lot of friends. And there was a limiting belief that I wasn't good enough. All the ways I was being would never get me out of depression. (laughs) It just kept me there. Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, for sure. That's clear. So one of the things that you talk about is letting go, letting go as a means of resolving conflict. That's something that's worked for you. That's something something that we've discussed quite a bit. Maybe you could explain a little bit about that and how that's been helpful. Yeah. So just to be clear, this is never ending journey. So it doesn't mean, I mean, there's conflict that comes up all the time. However, I do realize that there is a letting go to, to get over conflict. Like when you're in a conflict with somebody, either, you know, they're going to give up or you're going to give up, or you're going to continue hating each other or being in a conflict. Like those are like the common scenarios, right? 
because when you're in a conflict, let's say one person has an opinion, the other person has another opinion, right? If you keep arguing your opinions, each person's opinion gets stronger because resistance creates persistence, right? So if you keep telling me something that's opposite my opinion, what do I do? I automatically defend my opinion. Defend the process of defending my opinion or my point of view strengthens my point of view for my brain. Right. Because the more I'm saying it, the more I'm like affirming it over and over. And then I come back to you with that. And what do you do? Defend yourself for your side. And that's what most fights look like. And in my experience, the way to get out of the fight, sometimes what people do is they just go their separate way. And then they just separately are just like, okay, time has passed. It's not worth it. They get back together and then they pretend it didn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. We've all done that. You just don't talk about it. It wasn't worth talking about. You don't talk about it, but you never really resolved it. No, it's always going to come back and bite you because the underlying thing never got dealt with. Yeah. Chances are that particular argument or something that's in the realm of that argument will come up again and you repeat it over and over. So, you know, what about the idea of, actually getting through it. And it doesn't mean you have to agree. You can continue to disagree, but just letting go of something, which usually I can't think of a time that it's anything other than letting go of being right. For sure. And I would say, even if you think you're right or know you're right, however you want to say that, if, you know, I can see the car in the driveway and you can't see it because your back is to it. I'm giving a really obvious example. I know I'm right because I'm looking at it right now, but we're arguing and you can't see it because you you can't turn around to see it. We can continue arguing or I could just give up being who cares. Right. Yeah. That's a really obvious thing, but you can see that actually translates to even bigger topics because most of the time it's not something that really matters that the other person gets that you're right. Yeah, that's definitely true. And and if you're just clutching your chest and going, I'm right. You're just going to die unhappy. So it's just, you're going to be right about being unhappy and that they were wrong. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Versus seeing beyond that and just allowing it to dissipate and let go. Yeah. So this is something I wanted to ask you getting out of depression and then moving forward with life. Is there, are there things that you created? Is there like a possibility that you created or is there like a values that you created that you said, you know what, I'm going to live for these things as opposed to living for being depressed. It's interesting when I finished the forum and I started living my life and realizing I'm don't get depressed anymore because it happened that way. It's because I was using the tools I learned there and the outcome was no more depression. Mm-hmm. They addressed it. Right. Head on. You know what? There were several things. One is just like actually like discovering what life is all about, like newly versus 20 years of going to war (laughs) with this thing called depression. No offense to anyone who suffers from depression. It was me. But what a waste of my time that I was doing. I wouldn't I'd be lying if I wouldn't say there were times where I was like, gosh, I wish I could have gotten this sooner. But it is what it is. It's the way it's the way it played out for me. But it was like, okay, now what is there to discover about life? What was I missing out on? Mm -hmm. And even like I said, a lot of it was facing fears. I was missing out on that. I was missing out on failing. Because you wouldn't even allow yourself to fail because you were afraid of doing the failing. Yeah. yeah, that sounds crazy. Who wants to fail? But if you're not like taking chances or like going out there or doing things that are scary, you never even get to have that experience of I succeeded or I failed, which are also stories because who says what success is and what failure is? We yeah. do. But I didn't give myself the chance to do that before. Just discovering things and finding what I enjoy in life. And it and I'm still that was many years of depression. It's an ongoing journey to figure out what I actually like and what excites me. Yeah, that's great. If you're enjoying this program, if you love Lunacy, please consider becoming part of our team. Go to patreon.com backslash lunacy podcast to become a member of our team. You can choose a number of different levels to support us on a monthly basis so that we can continue the work of exploring the love operating system, how best to be of service and how to live life to the fullest. Thank you so much for your support. Much love, everybody. Is there any specific example that you could offer that is a good sample of what it was that you were like afraid to do that you were just like, you know what, I'm just going to go after this. Part of being a victim and being lonely and being depressed was 
I had this thing about, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but nobody likes me. So I don't have many friends. I'm not asked to go and do things with people very often. Looking back, I could see why I wouldn't be because I wouldn't have asked me. I wasn't approachable to be asked. Actually, somebody at one at some point even told me that you're not approachable, which actually made me look. So a thing I was afraid to do is why does somebody have to ask me? I can ask people, hey, do you want to go out? Do you want to get together like girlfriends? And it was something I never would have done before. I did that and I do that. And there's still a there's still an automatic for me to not do that. But I catch myself doing that. Like, why does it have to be somebody else asked me to go somewhere? I can reach out to people. So it's a simple example. But yeah, that was one. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the power of choice and recognizing we talked a bit about the fact that we're always creating stories all the time. And so often those stories that we create are negative and disempowering for ourselves, right? There's a realization that I am responsible when I see that I am creating the story, that I am the sorcerer, S-O-U-R-C-E-R, right? I am the sorcerer of my life, right? That I am the one that's writing the story. If I really hold that to be true and see that I am doing that, then that gives me a considerable amount of power to choose who it is that I'm who it is that I'm interacting with and what the story is that I'm creating around them. And there's an empowering context that we can create for dealing with people that are challenging in our lives as well. Seeing beyond where we think that we're right above and over them because of the fact that we're related somehow. I don't just mean family. It could be in business, could be friends, it could be in our circle or whatever, or the guy at the gas station, et cetera. Mm-hmm. For you, what do you find is useful in creating an empowering context for dealing with difficult people? Yeah. So yeah, the power of choice, it also relates to getting over depression. Again, all these distinctions. When someone behaves in a way that most people would agree might be, again, going to the example of rude or mean, I get to choose what I make it mean. So I don't have to have it be mean. I could be like, wow, that person must be really dealing with something that has them say the words in the manner that they said them to me. Or to others. And the reason it empowered in that example, it avoids being disempowered. Yeah. Because if somebody says something to me that I would have historically said, wow, they were mean to me. Right. Now I feel bad. Why was that person mean to me? That's not fair. I get into victim mode. Whereas if I'm like, wow, I wonder what they're going through that has them raise their voice and get closer to me, I avoid getting disempowered. Closer to home, Like a lot of people, you go through your teen years, teens, 20s, a lot of people will look back and look at things their mother or father did that made them not the best mother or father and they didn't give me enough love or things like that. I completely rewrote those stories and I realized they're human beings that did the best they can. And I know that my mother loved me and Maybe she didn't show it in the way of hugging me all the time and saying she loved me. Yeah. But there are so many things I learned from her that I'm so grateful for in my life. And she didn't have to do that. That's love. So it's rewriting those stories. And it's a choice because I could have chosen to continue with the stories I've had. The cycle of suffering can end with you, that person. But you can change that story so you're not living a victim the rest of your life to it. Yeah. And that's empowering. Yeah. So for me, one of the things that you said that I think is really powerful is just recognizing other people's wounding when we're dealing with a difficult person, recognizing, hey, you know what? This person has got all kinds of wounds that I can't see right now from different ways of people interacting with them and their upbringing and parenting, et cetera. And so that explains a lot of the way that they are being right now. And really, there's something so powerful in seeing that because it then becomes way less about me and who I am and much more about who they are and where they are in their journey right now. If I can hold true to that, if I can hold true, hey, this other person is that I'm dealing with that's challenging, that's difficult, is wounded, then it gives me space to say, okay, wait, don't take this personally. This isn't about you. What can I say that is going to be helpful to them? And how do I penetrate their defenses and just be like, come from love and just be honest. Hey, I see that you're I see that you're really irritated right now. I see that you're really upset. What can I do to help you? Or what is it that's there for you that you want to just let go of right now? And it doesn't even require you to have a conversation with the other person. Yeah. It's just how you receive it. And I know that for some people, 
it can be very triggering to change the context because if they feel that they were a victim of the other person, like the other person was rude to them, they were a victim of that rudeness or mean and victim of that meanness. The last thing they want for you to say is they probably had a bad day because the person's no, they were mean to me. So that's not the approach I take because that's a very irritating approach. Usually at the time, I don't even say anything, but all I can say is what I do for myself is I can continue to be in a place of that person was mean to me and suffer, or I can make up another story about the person like they are not having a good day because I don't know. I don't know what's true if I haven't talked to the person, especially if it's a stranger, but then I'm fine. Yeah. When we talk about the vicious circle earlier, you said usually it's something that's not very positive, but it can be positive. You can create the meaning being really positive. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. That's the way to go. Right. Oh, you're saying change the change the narrative, change the narrative, create a more positive story about them, but also recognizing that there's that you're creating a story at the same time. It's all made up unless you talk to the person. And if somebody's being quote unquote mean, what we call mean, I don't know if you ask them, like, why did you do that? If they're even going to have the wherewithal to look and give you an honest answer of what even has them be that way. Yeah. If there's some self-awareness, they would. Like if I yelled at you and then later you said, why did you? If I'm really honest, I can look and say, you know what? I was triggered by something you said. And I know that trigger comes from me feeling not good enough. And then I did it. If I'm that honest with myself and then you're totally free from feeling like it was about you. But most people, I don't want to say most people, you don't know if the person is aware enough to even say it. So anything that you think is going to be made up and why wouldn't you make up the thing that's going to be empowering to you? Okay. We really are creators of our life. Yeah. And There's no benefit in the narrative of with all the people I you run across throughout the day, a lot of them strangers or acquaintances to have a negative narrative that makes you feel bad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So why not have an empowering context for your life? And it's not always easy at the moment. We react in the moment, but it's like the moments after the moment where you have the opportunity to change it. Yeah. And that determines how fast you get over it. And I noticed that for myself, if years ago, I would stay in that negative narrative for a long time. I noticed it can be quicker and quicker. There's days that are quicker than others, but it can literally be 10 minutes later. You're like, oh, okay, I'm totally over that. That mm-hmm. person's just having a bad day. Yeah. And there's also something to be said for engaging in practices that are challenging, even on the face, so that, that are uncomfortable, even on the face, so that... You can have a little bit more space, right? Like mm-hmm. meditation. And before we did this podcast, we so I meditated for 10 minutes. And part of that was like challenging and looking at what are the things that might be holding me back? Or for me anyway, that was what it was about. What am I nervous about? What kind of energy do I need to penetrate through? What do I need to let go of now? Really delving deeper into that. Things like that. Things like we did, we did combo yesterday, right? Fun. So for people who are not familiar with combo, it is a, it's a frog medicine. It's not 5-MeO-DMT. So there's no psychoactive effect. It is a frog medicine that comes from these tree frogs that are down in the Amazon or in the Caribbean that, uh, that if you burn a little spot on your skin and you put the, the, what do you call it? It's like a, it's like a slimy thing that's on the outside of the frog. Yeah, it's an excretion from that's it's an excretion that's rendered from the skin of the frog that does not kill them. That is poisonous. If you were to eat the frog, you would have problems. But it also actually has all of these incredibly powerful biopeptides that are really good for you. But the effect of working with combo is that you purge. And again, there's no psychoactive effect. You don't get high from it or anything like that. It's just enables your body to release toxins and let go of things. And the effect is that you purge, which we did that yesterday with a friend of ours. And it was super uncomfortable. It was really the apex of uncomfortable. I was really, for myself anyway, I was really wishing that I had not done it until I really did purge and release what there was to release from my body. And then I felt, frankly, way today, I feel just so much better and so much more energy. And I have so much more vitality as a result of engaging in that practice. 
So that's something that's like a good practice that one can do that is actively engaging discomfort, hunting discomfort, that then it can also be liberating, which I think also is similar to what we've been talking about is if I'm actively looking at the stories that I'm creating, because I don't want to look at the stories that I'm creating. I don't want to think about that. It's not, it's way easier and more comfortable to just keep going, to just let the zombie move forward without consideration. Yeah. It's the practice of actively engaging and saying, wait a minute, I'm creating a story because now I can see that I am upset is a challenging practice and taking responsibility for it is a challenging practice. But on the other side of that, there's such a freedom that we can have. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that anytime I'm upset, when I actually stop to look at it, because first there's the upset and let's all be angry and get mad and be a victim. I can look at why I'm upset. And every time I am, I'm not upset about what happened. I'm upset about what I say about what happened. Yeah. It's not the thing itself that makes me upset. It's the story that I told myself that makes me upset. Even simple things like somebody cut you off in the, when you're driving and like it might upset you, that may be a short lived one, but the actual being cut off can't cause upset. Yeah. Exactly. It's literally a car went in front of me when I wanted to be where that car is. Yeah, totally. And push me back. Yeah. So anytime I'm upset, I can look at it and see it's what I'm saying. And I share that. I offer that to people to do yeah. because it goes back to that's how you get to an empowering context. When you look at the thing that you're upset about is not even really in reality, what's happened. And even if it's hard to do that, what happened in the past, unless it's happening right now while we're talking, (laughs) yet we continue to be upset about it. Yeah, exactly. Which is a little insane. And then the other thing to look that you can look at with that exercise, by the way, a lot of the things we're talking about, they're just different ways to come at the same thing is, okay, someone upset me. We could call that a trigger. Yeah. So what has me be triggered? Because that same thing might not upset somebody else, Mm. yet it upsets me. Now, again, we as humans, we always like to get agreement. We like to get people to agree with us. It validates our feelings. Yeah. So there's a lot of things somebody could do that you could go ask all your friends and they'd all say, oh, yeah, that was horrible. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we've all agreed it's horrible. But that's a pretty common thing to do. You know, what I'm, what I challenge myself with is not living an ordinary life, but living an extraordinary life. So it's not doing what everybody does and to step back and look at it is what has it trigger me? What is there for me to look at that has that trigger? And when you do that, you'll find some answers that has you transformed through that trigger. When you don't, it repeats and repeats. And I still have things that are repeating because I haven't looked at them. Like I haven't really looked Yeah. in the moment. You go, okay, whatever you get over it. There's a lot of them that we were so used to just brushing them under the rug and getting over them pretty quickly. Yeah. But then they repeat over and over. If you really want to put an end to it, it's look at the trigger or look at what you say about it coming at it from two different angles, but the same thing. Yeah. So I have a list of those triggers for you that I want you to do. <laughs> Married life. Just kidding. We could give personal ones. We yeah, both we have triggers. We definitely though. could. No, that's absolutely true. And I think like I would say that one of the one of the keys to our to our success in relationship to our the success of our marriage is recognizing that we are triggered. And that's a recurring conversation that we have you yeah. know, when it is that we get upset. When I get upset now, I say I am really triggered right now. All my alarms the other day we were talking and we weren't I wouldn't say we were in a fight per se, but like it was on the verge of that. And I said to you, I was like, really, all of my triggers are up right now. Yeah. Like, can we do a break? Yeah, it was fun. And it worked. Yeah. Can I give you an example? OK, you I used to always get triggered by you rolling your eyes when I say something. Certain things you don't roll your eyes every time I talk, but usually if it's like I'm asking you to do something and <laughs> you roll your eyes and I've told you. But I actually have looked at it and I don't know if, but I don't say much about it. There's sometimes you rolled your eyes and I haven't said anything. And you've said, I'm allowed mm-hmm. to roll my eyes. And I said, I didn't say anything about you rolling your eyes. Oh, I've stopped saying it. Yeah. But thanks. that's because I looked at it triggering me and it triggered in me to me, you rolling your eyes. Then I made that mean that what I have to say is not valuable or like it, I'm asking you to do something. You roll your eyes. Then it's like the thing I'm asking you to do is not worth 
worthy of being asked to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So now when you do it, it doesn't like, it it doesn't stop me. I just keep going. It's okay. There's that thing he does. And I'm, but my feeling in my body is completely different around it. And it's not like it goes away overnight. It's getting less and less and less to the point your rolling eyes are going to have zero impact on me. So you're going to have to find something new. I'm excited about that. <laughs> no, it's interesting that you bring that up too, because I, I do. That's one of the things that I get triggered around is you asking me to do stuff. I don't feel like I'm alone in this. If there are any men listening that are married. <laughs> As I said, you can always find a lot of people that uh, will agree with you. I, what, exactly. <laughs> But I'm sure it's, I know for a fact that it's a recurring thing for, for us married men to deal with, like just being asked to do things. And so it's interesting because I, the rolling of the eyes is like a trigger that I haven't really obviously gotten to the source of because I still do it. But I will say that for me, I am doing a lot better as far as like the next phase of that trigger, which is to get upset that you're asking me to do something. Like I really just try and stop and just listen and then write it down and then take care of business and do it. So that's something that I feel like both of us have transformed on some level. I'd love to have another conversation just about male, female, masculine, feminine stuff. But just since we touched on it, the thing about to do, I do think there's things that don't help the situation of men getting triggered by women asking them to do things. Even the expression honey-do list. I think it's there's a negative connotation with it. And then that doesn't help the situation. (laughs) You're right. It doesn't help the situation. The the list is still going to be there and it's got to get done. (laughs) Yeah. And it has a negative connotation. So then how does that empower you as the man? No, it's versus These are things that are helpful to us as a family. Yes, that's true. And also uh, for me anyway, that's been part of the transformation because I think you can admit that I've gotten better about not being as triggered by you asking me to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of my being better about that is recognizing, number one, it's going to make you happy. Number two, generally, I think pretty much always, almost always asking me to do is something that's going to enhance the integrity of our lives. So then I realize that. And then that's helpful because it's not just, hey, go do X, Y, and Z. And also just realizing that that it's not personal. You're not asking me to do something because it's like personal or that there's some inadequacy with what's going on with our relationship, which I think is generally for myself, but also for men. That's like a man thing. Don't tell me what to do. A vibe, which doesn't really work, particularly in relationships. So there's something that like I've been working hard to just not working hard, but like recontextualizing for myself. There's nothing this her asking me to do all these things is not about that there's something wrong or inadequate about me as a man. Her asking me to do these things is about us having a higher level of integrity with our lives so that we can have more freedom to be who we are and do what we want. Yep. Cool. Yay. That's great. Can we talk about one more thing related to depression? Nope. Done. <laughs> nope. No more depression talk here, you guys. We're done. We're not even talking about it. There is no such thing as depression. We are all happy all the time. Boom. Thank you for listening. Of course. So again, these are all things I got from Landmark because that happens to be where I got these things. And I will add in that I've heard the same things I learned at Landmark in completely different environments, like in spiritual environments. So they can all be gotten or received in completely different environments. It just happens to be for Landmark. So another big thing. Buddhist parallels, Christian parallels, Hindu parallels. Literally with everything there. With everything. They're just So I reference that because that's what happened for me. So the other big thing is the topic. Just good contexts. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. And I call them distinctions. Another one is gossip. Oh yeah. Let's talk about gossip and how great it is. So beneficial for everyone. Just awesome. It's really helpful. Really. Yeah. If you gossip a lot, you just feel so much better. Yeah, that's right. It's bad. So that's a big. It's not bad. It's toxic. Yeah. That's a big thing at Landmark. You actually make an agreement not to gossip. And the way gossip, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the way gossip was defined there was anything that I say that will diminish your view of the thing or person I'm talking about. Yeah. So that's gossip. Right. So most people gossip a lot. Yeah. Or to some extent, I don't want to say everybody does it a lot. I'm sure there's going to be people who are like, I don't. But 
Also, when you really get that definition, you start to notice where you gossip, where you didn't think it was gossip. The definition is, again, anything that one says that will diminish the view that the other person will have of that thing. So if I say something to you about somebody and now you have a lesser view of that person, Uh I've gossiped. Anything that diminishes the listening of another person. Yeah. They say the listening, but I was paraphrasing. Okay. Yeah. If we define it as... So I think, I don't know. The view, anything that diminishes your view of somebody else. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I get it. Is gossip. So, you know, that taking that. So when I say taking that out of my life, it's not like I never gossip. I catch myself now. But like all the other things I said, like when I left the Landmark Forum, I started looking at where I had complaints that had a cost and a payoff or where I was collapsing what happened with the story I say about it. I took that on. I also took on not gossiping. Yeah. And it's a journey. You catch yourself a lot in the beginning. You start doing it less and less and less over time. And it's like one of those things until you're like not doing it, you don't realize the impact doing it had. And it really is toxic. It really is gross. It really is just, there's just nothing good about it. And when I do catch myself saying something that was gossip, I really notice how yucky it feels. Whereas I wouldn't have noticed it before because it was just like what people do. People just tend to like to do that. And we do it for all sorts of reasons to make ourselves feel better because we're saying something bad about somebody else. So that must mean I'm better because I don't do that thing that I'm saying about them. Yeah. We also will share it with people when we're gossiping and they like it too. So now we've made somebody else Like we have a partnership in that. So now I've made them feel better at the cost of the other person. There's just so much around it. Comparativeness. There's looking down on other people. There's a feeling better about myself and looking down on them. That all of which is incredibly toxic and prideful and, you know, awful. But there's and there's also, I think, to your point is diminishing the view of another person or diminishing the listening that you have of that person then that creates a real agreement reality around them where that's who they are and they can't escape that. Right. And the fact that, look, the reality is if we're gossiping about something, somebody, they're acting in a way that is out of harmony. Generally speaking, if I'm gossiping about somebody, it's because that person is acting in a way that is out of harmony. But that way of acting out of harmony is also like a wound that they have, a wounded way of being. And if I talk about them as if that's who they are, that thing that is out of harmony, then there's no possible way that they could transform right. or escape it or even see it. And in fact, it makes it even worse because now you and I agree with it behind their back. And when they step into the room with us, they don't know what we said, but there's a feeling. Right. There's an energy that's there because you and I are both looking at them like they did something wrong and that they're a bad person because of X. And so it's toxic on that level, too. In terms of, I think, what you're pointing to and what I fully believe is that in an effort to in an effort for us as human beings to elevate ourselves and elevate humanity and really live our best lives and heal the planet and all these noble endeavors that we're up to that we really are up to and are really possible. Gossip is it's very much a kryptonite for all of that because it really takes us out of being able to like honestly confront someone directly. And I know for me, it's interesting from a personal standpoint, I've seen gossip with different groups of people in my life that has been so toxic and disgusting and really challenging. And then I carry that energy and then it takes me a lot to purge it out and get it out and meditate it out and all of that versus what I believe, which is just being direct with people. If I have a problem or an issue with somebody, right? I tell them, hey, the way that when you said this, I had the story that it meant this, right? And also like it made me feel comfortable. And I heard somebody else say that it made them feel uncomfortable. I just want to talk to you about it so that we can get to the bottom of it. Because then that gives them the opportunity for growth. And it also gives them the opportunity for transformation. And it gives them the opportunity to make amends of the thing that was the injury that I am complaining about to the other person. Instead of complaining about that to the other person, I go direct. To the end of, or if, instead of complaining about it to somebody else, I go direct to the person and I talk to them directly. 
hey, when you did this, I had this story that it meant this. It seems like it was a little out of harmony. Let's talk about it. And then they have the opportunity to have an actual discussion about it. Right. Yeah. That. So there's, yes. And there's a couple of ways to look at gossip. So I was saying related to depression, it's depression's chicken and egg stuff thing. Like you gossip, which makes you feel yucky, which makes you more depressed, but you gossip because you're depressed. So it's one of those things. But when you look at gossip, I can see, as far as I can see, there's two situations. One, when you don't have the courage to talk to the person directly about the thing, so you gossip about it. And then the other is when you actually might be jealous of the other person. So gossip could be in the form of, can you believe what that person wear? That's Mm -hmm. gossip. Right. There's nothing for you to confront them on to say, I don't like what you wear. (laughs) That's just your opinion. But why does one talk about that? Like, why does one talk about Maybe they're very unique and bold and maybe that wouldn't be how you dress, but you wish you could be more unique and bold. Or I'm just giving an example, but it's look at what the motive is. And I find myself doing that. There's times where I've been about to call somebody to talk about something or somebody else with them. And I'm like, why am I doing this? What's the motive? Now, one way to hide gossip is to say, I really had to talk this out with somebody to assess my feelings and know how to approach it. Now, that could be the truth. There can be situations like I want to talk to you about an interaction I had with somebody that if I said it to somebody else, it'd be gossip. But I really want to talk to you because you're my husband. You know me. You could help me with it. And we have these conversations. Yeah. And I would set the context up. Yeah. And I'm really coming from a place where I'm not putting the other person down. Like I would be like. And the intention is to communicate with them directly. Yes. Just figuring out what the best way of doing that is. Yeah. I want your help. Yeah. That's different. But the way you can tell that is who are you choosing to have that conversation with? I choose you because you're my husband and you're right there. But let's say I'm choosing somebody outside of us. If the people that I'm considering calling are people that I know are going to agree with me, I might reconsider that. Why not call somebody that wouldn't agree with me? Yeah, exactly. Because agreement is, again, going to that whole gossip thing. Whereas if I call someone who wouldn't see it the same as me, then I have the opportunity to actually grow from it and learn something. Yeah. One of my closest friends always said to me before speaking, it's good to ask yourself, what's the upside? Yeah. And what's the potential downside? And if there's a potential downside, why am I having this conversation? I think there's a courage element. It's weak to gossip. And I'm not calling other people weak. I've done it too. I will probably do it again. I'm sure I will. It's something to look at. And when you have a network of people, let's say it's a group of friends that you have from a certain, I don't know, you go to the gym together or whatever that group is. When there's gossip at the foundation of it, it really is a risk to that group. It's a to- yeah, it's totally toxic. Yeah, just to close it out, I just feel like in those scenarios you find gossip just it, it tears people apart and it does definitely tear friendships apart and it does tear groups apart 100%. And gossip at the workplace, gossip at your church or wherever you if you do that kind of worship any kind of group that you're in, it just really tears at the foundation and the purpose and intention of whatever that group is. Yeah. And I could say even recently, I've had situations where there's some that shows up in my life that in the past I totally would have jumped on the gossip train about that I didn't and how quickly the thing I would have gossiped about wasn't there for me anymore. Yeah, totally. Totally. I feel fortunate because I don't, I don't gossip very much. I feel like I haven't, that hasn't been a thing that I've, cause I like people so much because I like people. Then I don't like to gossip people like I, about people. So I think the point that we're trying to make here is not that, Hey, people say things, et cetera. And gossip can be very insidious where it's like all of a sudden you didn't realize that you were part of a gossip loop, but you are part of a gossip loop. And in those moments, it's really important, I think, to just say, okay, I get that I'm really gossiping right now. And that's not beneficial to anybody involved. How do we have more direct communication? What is it that we need to say to this person? Because it's alluring. It's definitely alluring from the comparative example and the looking better, being better, thinking I am better than the other person thing. That's obviously a prideful sin that we have. So it's intoxicating in a way. To, to gossip, but it's super unhealthy. And I think what you're trying to say, what I'm saying is it's so much better to, and so much better and liberating to just be direct with the person that's being spoken about. Or if you find that somebody's trying to gossip with you about somebody else to just say, okay, how do we address this directly? What, do, what is it that we need to say to them about this? That's going to make a difference. Yeah. Them. Yeah. If somebody comes to me with gossip about another person's 
like something they're doing, I, the first thing I say is, have you talked to them about it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you find when you don't gossip, less people come to you with gossip. Totally. Because they just go to the people that like to gossip. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a good friend of ours said that when he met Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett said, don't say something about somebody else that you wouldn't be okay with it being published on the front page of the newspaper the next day. So in summary, the things that had me get over depression were to be honest with myself on what has me in that space, not just I can't help it, I'm depressed, but really look at what I'm avoiding. Another way to look at it is what do I get to say? Like I get to say, it's okay to just hang out and watch movies all day and eat ice cream and not do or anything get drunk or whatever. Or I get to say, yeah, it's okay to just get drunk or get high because I'm depressed. I just get off the hook of a lot of things. The one we just talked about gossip, like not doing that. Cause that certainly contributes to depression to look at where I'm collapsing. What's actually happening in life with all the meaning I'm giving to that thing, regardless if I could get a hundred people to agree with me, it's still meaning that was added on. Look at where I can choose a different meaning. Yeah. That's empowering empowering meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's great. And also to accept and to feel and to be okay with some days you just feel a little down or low energy, but that doesn't mean you're going into some pit or something's wrong with you. Absolutely. Just having a low energy day. Yeah. hundred percent. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Okay, cool. Listen, I really want to, I really want to acknowledge you, Christine, for being such a powerful woman in the world and also for being my partner in life. I really appreciate your support of me and who I am and what I'm up to and also how that reflects on you and your own life and how you're able to empower other people and be of service and be loving other people. I really appreciate that you, that you did conquer your own depression. We wouldn't be here today if you had not. You would be hiding away in your little cave in Playa del Rey. And I just really appreciate you and I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge you for doing this podcast where people have an opportunity to share things like I'm sharing today and other things that people have overcome or been inspired by and that you're going for it. So thanks. Yeah. Okay. Final question for you, Christine Irwin. What is sacred and what is insane? So what is sacred is life, like the planet, animals, people, plants, just everything about it is sacred. I just get more amazed by how it all works, which I don't understand most of it every day, but just just how complex our the whole ecosystem is and yet it's there. Yeah. Sacred. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And what's insane? What is insane to just continue with the theme of the podcast? It's insane that we, one goes about living a life based on stories versus what's actually happening in reality. Yeah. Non-negative disempowering stories. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'd say that's an insane thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We're all a little crazy. Yeah, we are. Up in here. Beautiful. All right. That's great. Anything else you want to say? No. Thank you. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. Much love to all of you. Ludacy is a creation of myself, Jeff Ada, with podcast management by Kimberly Joy Voice. We really appreciate you listening. If you'd like to support the show and become a part of our team, please go to patreon.com backslash lunacy podcast. Much love. <laughs>